realizing how fragile our lives are and, and how special it is to be here and how you, you to take care of the gift that you have to be here and, and, and to, to foster that journey with intention. I mean, that, that's what I think each of us have the power to do. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, depending on wherever you find yourself in the world. I myself am watching actually the sun go down in Amsterdam. It's actually a very beautiful bright blue. We actually had sun here today. My guest is on the almost perpetually sunny West Coast, which I'm a little jealous about, but she's in LA. And today's show, I'm really excited about because we're going to dive into kind of the psychology and then also the practical actions to take for people that may be listening that have always wanted to do something like put out an album, but there's been things getting in their way, mostly fear and self-doubt. It's, it tends to be what I see, but I'd love you know, to hear Miriam's story. So Miriam, if you could introduce yourself to everybody and kind of give a little bit of context as to how you have created a career for yourself as a professional singer-songwriter. I am Miriam Tamar, and I am a world fusion singer-songwriter, and I'm currently based in LA, and I have been kind of across the globe, now coming out with my first debut EP that's out. It's been a long process, and yeah, excited to share that and talk about it. Definitely. So take us back a little bit, not that we need, of course, the the full... (laughs) I start not that you'd give it anyway, but sometimes it's funny. People are like, well, where do I start? I've lived a lot of years, but you know, when was it clear to you that music was something you wanted to do? Yeah. So I think it is common that people have that experience where they're singing or it's been part of their life for as long as they can remember. And I think for me, I was singing and I loved it and it was a passion. And I don't think I had the courage to admit to myself or to other people that it was something I wanted to pursue professionally. Uh, and it, it kind of came back round to me in, in an unexpected way. I pursued uh, nonprofit work and went to college and got a degree in peace and justice studies and then went and moved abroad and was working in Uganda in nonprofit and peace education, developing curriculum and sort of following sort of more of a traditional path or an academic path. I guess, I don't know if you'd call that traditional, but more traditional. <laughs> and... <laughs> You know, it it fit more into what my family does. My family's in public health and education and psychology and I guess so in in the service of helping other other people. So I wanted to follow in that path. But at the same time, I was missing singing because that was sort of something that I could have built in as a child and growing up. You could do chorus. You could join the jazz groups. You could do it as a hobby and I didn't really have to, you know, make that choice. But now as an adult, you know, you have to make it part of your life more consciously. So I really realized that I needed this creative outlet that I actually missed music. And I think also being abroad and like being in kind of an extreme situation, living in a post-conflict zone and and working in schools and with teachers and you know experiencing their struggles I definitely needed a creative outlet so that's where for the first time I started songwriting so that was my way that I could sing if I was songwriting I actually yeah. know that about you, Miriam. That's yeah. <laughs> I actually do know each other personally. So that's that's really what a hmm, unexpected return. Yeah, and I found a um, I had a friend there who is originally from the UK, and we found literally a mud hut studio, like mud hut with tin roof, to write some songs. And there was a guy there who had a little computer set up. With some software and it was hooked up to a generator and we would fuel up the generator and pay for fuel to power it for a few hours and like write these tracks 
and we were co-writing at the time because these were my first songs. I just didn't have the confidence or believe that I could write songs. You know, I believed I could sing and we were kind of, you know, emulating different pop songs or pop artists that we were both familiar with because I didn't, again, feel like I had sort of the content or my own, my own voice in terms of the message or, or ideas that I was felt confident to share at that point. But it was exciting to be actually creating something. That's my first time to be creating like original content. Uh, so that's kind of where it started. And then it kind of like took off. It just like started rolling and I started performing in like local pubs and like bars and like showing up in these crazy places in this like village, really uh, performing. And I just, I loved it. Like it made me so happy. And at some point you're like, what am I doing? Like, why would I not do something that brings me this much joy? Mm. Like confront yourself. And I think being abroad allowed me the freedom to, you know, I didn't have to like answer to anybody except for myself. So I was able to just sort of say, you know, and I'm going to leave the nonprofit sector. I'm going to go pursue this. And I moved to the capital city, Kampala. And I found a record label that would let me manage one of their studios in in exchange for having free studio time, like when the studio is available. And that's when I started sort of writing my own songs, getting a little bit further, developing my own sound a little bit more. And then started performing more in the clubs there and then collaborating with uh, Ugandan hip hop artists. And then eventually I was uh, doing some collaborations and fusion sound and fronting a like, African percussion ensemble and that's where I like actually developed the current sound that I now have which is like fusion fusing um like western sound on top of percussive sounds and bass and then I guess the only last piece to develop for me was like what's really my message and that came again with like more personal growth and finally being able to look into myself and say, what's, what am I here for? And what do I have to say? Which is like, I think the scariest thing as an artist to actually be yourself. And I think a lot of people don't ever reveal that. And I didn't actually get into that writing until I came back to the U.S. I think it was in the transition of, of being back here. And it was, I think, one of the darkest times of my life and that transition is like a time of, of a lot of loss for me and reevaluating life and sort of what my purpose was here on this planet. And that's when I finally sort of confronted like my own message or and when I say message, I guess it's more like kind of like writing letters to myself or like getting things out, like a catharsis for myself which is what this EP fire dance became. There's so many little nuggets in there, Miriam. So many nuggets. I mean, I really appreciate how openly and honestly you're sharing. I can really feel the authenticity behind what you're saying, which it is true. It's, it's, I think there's a lot of emphasis in our industry of a brand and yet songs that personally resonate most with me tend to be when people are unapologetically authentic and they have that sense of urgency of getting the message out that kind of overrides the negative self-doubt, self-critical kind of nerve wracking thoughts because I mean, maybe I'm making an assumption here, but Miriam, I'm assuming that there were several times in this process, even when you were in Uganda, where you bumped up against a, a low mood or, or feeling a moment of self-consciousness or maybe a fear of the future, you know, how did you relate to those instances that way it didn't stop you from continuing on your path? 
Yeah, I, I mean, there's, <laughs> there's rejection from other people in terms of what you're doing and, and negative response. And that leads to self-doubt every step of the way. And, you know, I feel like every time something positive happens, like immediately something negative happens or, you know, like in every moment, it's, it's so hard because even now it's like any, any positive moment or, or, or validation, you're then wondering when, when is the next moment where you're going to get to the next step? Um, or, or are you good enough to get to the next step or, or how do you move forward? And I think the only thing that allows me to move forward is that like ultimately nothing is more freeing to me than being able to create and communicate my art to other people. It was definitely a process of admitting to myself and to others that this was a full-time career. Even when I came back to the U.S., and, you know, you're, you're working different jobs to pay bills and you have different things you tell the people in your lives about what your music is to you or where you are in your career or, or how far along you are in your recording or various stages. And, and there's always this, yeah, I'm working on, I'm working on something or yeah, it's, it's, it's coming along. And that goes on for months and months and months turn into years because things are really slow and it's a really difficult process. And I remember there was came there came a point, and I think I was I'd been in the U.S. already for a year and a half or something. And I finally had a conversation with I think it was with my my dad. I was on the East Coast uh, visiting my family, and I finally had this conversation where I said to him, "Look, like I have decided, you know, within myself, like I've said, I am now going. I am a full time artist." whatever that meant, like it, it, to me, it meant like I'm embracing, like I'm openly verbalizing that that is what I have decided. I am now owning that. So it took like so much time to, to own that. And now like to be able to even say that when I introduce myself to people uh, and to have the confidence to be able to, you know, when I meet someone say, yeah, I'm, I'm Miriam. I'm, I'm a singer songwriter. So that was a huge step. I think there's, there's almost like this shame when you're in the process and we're not, it's like, you don't feel like you've come far enough along to, to deserve the title. And, you know, there was a lot of like, there was so much buildup in releasing this first EP because, oh, finally I'm on a platform and I'm finally, um, does that make me legitimate or what is, what is it to be legitimate? And it's, it's just, it's a really... It's a really interesting and complicated, like, psychological element. And, you know, it's just interesting compared to other careers where there aren't different milestones of, of how do you know where you are in your career. Or I, I can't complete a document or turn something into a, a boss and, and know that I've worked my way up or achieve something in, in this week or file a document or whatever you know so it's it's just something like you embrace within yourself and it's like you know wow it's going to be two years five years ten years and you're just you're in it because it's like you've just kind of decided that's who you are and then you like have this peace and I don't know that's sort of I think that's what's been liberating to me is uh, finally taking the ownership and mm. and having a oneness with with the identity. Yeah. I don't know if that answers it. <laughs> yeah, I, I I definitely can relate to what you're saying about not admitting it to yourself. That was one thing that I also had a lot of thinking about because it was like, if I admitted that I really wanted to be a successful and if I'm honest, my, I wanted to be a famous singer. I mean, I was like my childhood dream and I wanted to be like Britney Spears and was always playing, you know, singing uh, for the family at like 4th of July parties and all this kind of stuff, a very similar experience of the, of the freedom that that offered for me as well, um, or that I felt 
doing that activity. And it was, if I'm honest with myself, it was definitely the reason I didn't want to admit it to myself was because I was afraid of failure and I was afraid of criticism and rejection. Was that a similar experience in your own thinking? Were there other things that have popped up in the period where you didn't fully kind of own that? No, this is, this is what I want to do. This is who I am. No, I think, I think failure, a fear of failure is definitely why I kept the desire to staying kept inside. I mean, you have to be realistic. It's like, you know, to succeed in this industry is so competitive. It's like there, I have other skills. There are other things I'm good at that I could go and pursue and have a successful career and, and, and it would be so much easier. So it's like that constantly, it's like, even now there, there are days where I'm like, what am I thinking? What am I doing? It's like, I'm torturing myself, but it's this thing that I love. Uh, and I, I don't, you know, it's, well, it's an interesting thing. I like what you're pointing listeners to, at least what I hear with what you're saying is that there is a deep truth that success is not linear, especially in a creative profession or uh, when you're building your own business, right? Or you're trying to be a writer that gets published. We think it's linear, but it actually isn't. And I think that, that, again, trying to fit parameters, which is what happens a lot with loved ones, and it is well-intentioned, I think, most of the time, <laughs> at least in my experience. Yeah, yeah. It's well-intentioned. It's coming from a place of people feel that security comes from having that safe, secure job. But, you know, if we really dial that back and we look under the hood of that, that's actually not true either. I can't tell you how many times, Miriam, people retire, they've worked for a company for 40 years. Then when they're in retirement, the company pulls their pension. So they no longer have a pension or they pull their healthcare out from underneath them. The idea of safe and secure is it seems like that's kind of like dangling a carrot in front of the horse in a lot of ways. But if people really believe that, of course, they're going to come from that angle when they speak with you and relating to your own creative path. Right. And I think it's, I think also that that set of values is a very Western set of values and it's everything that I was raised with, but living abroad and being in Uganda when you're in a developing country where people don't have the ability, the vast majority of people are not in a financial situation to be saving and they're living day to day because that's the reality. They're living in the present. And when you're living in the present, you're, you're thinking, what is, what do we need right now? And what's going to make us happy? And it's about connectivity and being with people you love and doing things you love. So being in that environment for five years definitely changed the way I think. And, and again, that's, as I was saying before, like that allowed me to jump into music to, to have the freedom to make a choice for myself about pursuing a career that I love. Now we will play one of Miriam's original songs before returning to the interview.
now put so much more value on spending time doing things that I love rather than thinking about <laughs> the hypothetical 20 to 30 years later and being unhappy on that on that path in the meantime because it is an unknown yeah it is I remember walking on the beach with my mom she was again well-intentioned so mom, if you're listening, I'm not bashing my mother. Okay. I love my mom. No, <laughs> but, but kind of having the conversation of, you know, isn't it time that you kind of basically settle down? And I've also had some experiences where I've lived abroad as well. And that has been so helpful in so many ways. And I, I really just stopped and said to her, you know, cause she said to me, well, you know, once you, you know, settle down, have kids and go to school to get the PhD in psychology, you know, then you travel. And I said, mom, I don't mean to be morose, but I don't even know if I'm going to make it that long. Mm-hmm. And like, that isn't to be like a Debbie Downer, but that's a fact. That's right. a fact. I think we intellectualize. Everyone tends to do this. The fact that we aren't going to be here one day, we won't be able to get up and sing. We won't be able to kiss or to walk or to run. And I have worked with a lot of clients that are past 65 years of age. So even if it isn't death, you do have certain things that you are unable to do at a certain point, like walk, like be on a plane for 12 hours or, or anything like that, or gigging, right. Or, or, or touring. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think we really miss the boat a lot in our Westernized culture with this bigger, better, faster, more money status thing. It seems like we're really just rushing towards the finish line, thinking that's going to cause relief when all that's waiting at the finish line is actually no experience at all. I mean, again, a little morbid, but, but true. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I think, um, we've, we've talked about, you know, some of my experiences and one of the most life-changing experiences for me was a very difficult loss of a friend, um, at the end of my time in Uganda. And, that was kind of what did cause me to leave and come back home. And it also is a lot of what made me reflect on, on life and, and my purpose. And I do think, yeah, without, that's why people say without death, there is not life. Like you need to understand how precious our time is. 
And, you know, it's, it's a really upsetting lesson, but it's also a really valuable lesson, you know, and in, in countries where there's so such good healthcare and, and so much money, we're not experiencing as much death, but this has gotten really morbid, but realizing how fragile the world is and how fragile all of our lives are and, and how special it is to be here and how you, you to take care of the gift that you have to be here and, and, and to, to foster that journey with intention. I mean, that, that's what I think each of us have the power to do. Yeah. To, to feed that. Oh yeah. What, when, and it's of course not, I'm not saying that everyone should always, you know, live from this perspective, <laughs> right? Cause we're always going in and out of different kind of levels of awareness and consciousness. But when we talk big picture like this, the little things of someone maybe saying something to you or criticizing your music video, it's probably some dude in his underwear somewhere, you know, you start to see how small peanuts that is, especially I find it's helpful. And when people start to recognize that someone giving a critique is really just acting out of their own thinking, you start to be able to separate that from who you are. And I know I've definitely done this. If I get a negative feedback, I'll start to then project my, what, what my abilities are as a singer or my worth as a person, or then pr- start to predict my future in music or my future in business. And none of that is relevant. None of that is relevant to that one instance of criticism that related to one event or one circumstance. It isn't overarching. It's really important, I think, to consider the source of the people giving critiques and criticism. Again, you know, there's a huge difference between someone that's a professional in a field or a trusted advisor giving you feedback or criticism versus, again, someone that's in the audience that doesn't really know anything about music or, again, you know, someone that's sitting, I just had the visual of an overweight man in his underwear trolling YouTube (laughs) videos, but that happens. And then again, if, if you take that seriously, that can absolutely affect how you express yourself or what you feel you can put out, you know, how daring you can be with your music. So mm-hmm. I think it's important to, to highlight that, that there is no one right way and it's impossible to please 100% of people 100% of the time. As creative yes. people, we, 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 want to, we want people to feel connected. We want to express ourselves or even in the coaching world that I'm in, you know, people want to help, quote unquote. The fact is not everyone's going to resonate with your message. Yes, we all have, we all have different messages or, or different ways we see the world and that we're all, we all have our, our own realities and, and our realities resonate with each other in different ways. And we make up these mini pods of universes um, that somehow connect to each other with varying vocabularies or or senses of understanding, I guess. Um, and for me, that vocabulary, I guess, is about self-growth and discovery and resiliency, whatever those mean. And, and again, yeah, we all understand those words in different ways. Yeah, it's, it's putting energy or words or ideas out there because those are healing ideas or thoughts for me. And I'm putting those out into the universe or into the human connective zone and assuming there are other like-minded people somewhere who are going to to relate to it and there will be but i of course it's you can't expect everyone to to like what you do because if that's what you're trying to do then you're you're trying to do something else you're trying to make you're trying you're trying to make pop music which is to me like a, a form of advertising, I guess, which is different than kind of singer-songwriting art creation. (laughs) Well, we're running a little low on time, but there's a couple more questions that popped into mind that I wanted to ask. Kind of the whole theme of our interview has been around this, but just to pinpoint, what do you know now that you would have told your 15-year-old self? Hmm. See, there are a lot of things 
I have very mixed feelings about trying to like you can try and go back and change things, but at the same time, everything that was difficult or may have gone wrong or you wish didn't happen led you to where you are now. So it's like one of those complicated things. Um, and it's, it's also like, I often like, oh, I wish I studied music or went to music school. I'd be further along in my career by now. But it's like at the same time, if I hadn't gone the nonprofit route, then my mind wouldn't have been opened up. So I don't think I would change anything or tell myself anything differently because I think you have to go through a certain amount of pain and growth uh, to develop and to become someone who has gone through a personal experience and, and growth and struggle is part of life. So, so yeah, I guess I'd say <laughs> struggle is part of life and love and pain. It's all part of it. And you are resilient and you will move forward and you will bloom. I guess that's what I'd say. <laughs> Great answer, Miriam. I've never gotten that answer actually when I've asked that question. Which leads me to just another piece. This is a personal preference and opinion, but I do think there is incredible value in getting out of your own culture, living outside of your own culture and ways of doing things. So what was the biggest or one of the biggest takeaways or lessons that you learned living in Uganda? I would say uh this is sort of a twofold thing um, about being present and community. I, I feel that they're interconnected in that. So if you're present and you're just there, uh, all that matters is the people around you. So you're just, you're in the moment and you're just surrounded by your friends and family. And with that, I'm just going to take it one step further. We have so many boundaries here about like space and this is my house and I have rules about who's staying with me or who's coming in. And I still like, I, I slipped back into that when I moved back, but it, it always amazed me that people could just come and stay at someone's house for weeks or months, like family, family, friends, like cousin fifth removed. And, you know, one or two or three people can just come stay and crash at your house for endless amount of times and you don't even know when they're going to leave and it's just because everything's okay and you can just be open and present and there aren't just these rules and restrictions so just um this sort of open-mindedness and sense of community like so that was my takeaway that I don't think exists here in the U.S. and it's kind of just a state of mind that I like to imagine myself or reminisce about. <laughs> yeah. Well, what really popped to mind is when you were speaking, it's like people staying with us isn't a problem unless we think it's a problem. Right. <laughs> that was really right. clear when you were speaking. I could really see the illusion of of concepts that we have that, that again, you know, we each have individual houses and we have, you know, everyone's got a car and everyone has their own, my, my, my. We're so selfish. Yeah. I mean, that's, so that's, that's the value, right? That's, we've, we've figured out the word, right? I couldn't put the, um, so to, to be more communal, I guess. So being communal and rather than being, being selfish and oof. Yeah. And, and it, it's making me laugh a little in my head because I think the assumption with selfishness or, or greed or materialism, right, where we come from a, a culture that's very big on materialism, again, getting that big house with the picket fence and the two kids means you've made it. And very clearly, again, if we look at statistics, that's not true. We have one of the largest per capita populations that are on antidepressants than anywhere else in the world. Mm-hmm. So I think it's immensely valuable, again, for people to start reflecting, like exactly the process you went through, whether it's through, you, you know, you don't have to songwrite it, but if you do feel called to songwrite, <laughs> songwrite, take that first step. Actually, my first EP, I did a lot of co-writing too, Miriam. 
And that helped a lot. And I learned and you evolve and you, you only can build the bridge one plank at a time. And that's the truth. You know, we think that if we take this action, it's going to have this result. And yet, if we get honest with ourselves over and over again, proved mm -hmm. us wrong. You know, we have delightful surprises. And then there's also moments of immense heartbreak that occur, like what you've spoken to today, Miriam. Mm -hmm. And knowing that that's fundamentally okay. Meaning, of course, I'm not saying that it's light thing to go through pain or tragedy. But what I'm trying to point listeners to is that there's nothing wrong with you. If you are in a depression for years or something happens, that's also a weird kind of thing. I think that's unsaid. We believe that, you know, good things only happen to good people. And, and if something bad happens, that it's somehow our fault. There's a little bit of a misunderstanding there. I, and in my view for like, you know, the, the law of attraction, if you're thinking about it in that way, it can be really unhelpful in people showing up and being present because the truth is what you said, Miriam, we are part of an ecosystem. There is connection there. So we don't control <laughs> it, right? We're just one piece, one grain of sand on the beach. Yeah. And we're, we're united by the human experiences that we all have. We all struggle. We all go through sorrow, but we also all have resiliency within us. So that's the power. Yeah. I remember when I used to work with kids uh, in New York city as a social worker, it's such a great proof of resilience and how that has nothing to do with outside circumstances, because these kids lived through horrible circumstances. And yet some of them still had an absolute twinkle in their eye. Some have gone on now to create careers for themselves and be satisfied. It is available to everybody. Again, that, that resilience piece, I really love you keep bringing that up, that that's so crucial and it gets missed so often. Well, that's how, that's what actually brought me to Uganda. My aunt is from South Africa, so we went as a family to South Africa when I was nine, and we visited the townships, which is, um, for people who don't know, it's where the, the Black African, South African community lives, and they're segregated into extreme, extreme poverty. And it was, you know, like the strife there was incredible. But people, and especially kids, were running around and smiling and laughing and trying to process that as a child. Just like blew my mind. I, I was trying to, you know, seeing people in raggedy clothes, but laughing and being so kind and welcoming just stuck with me. And that was something I said from nine years old. I was like, I am going to come back here. I have to come back to Africa. I have to work here. I have to somehow come back. And that's, you know, when I got to college, I said, okay, how can I study where, what language can I take? So that was Swahili. How can I study? What program can I take? How, what can I do so that I can take a career path that will bring me back? So that was where, when I first started to understand what resiliency was, and that's something that's inspired me since I was a kid. Um, yeah. So that's why. <laughs> Cool. I don't, I don't want to end the conversation. We're <laughs> I've got the in-laws that I can tell are really hungry. Yeah. For <laughs> Selfishness. No, just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> I, I do want to ask you one uh, question about the EP though, about yeah. dance, you know? So if you could kind of give us a little sound bite of, you know, what could listeners expect by picking up your EP, uh, I think that'd be a great place that we can, we can kind of leave it today. And, and then also please share where people can find you or reach out to you. Yeah. Um, so the EP is a collection. So the EP is called fire dance and it's a collection of four songs that fuses world sounds and African live African percussion with electronic sounds. It's, you know, I wrote it with all of these themes in mind that we've been discussing about resiliency, self-empowerment, growth, and exploration. And it was my metamorphosis while being in Uganda and then coming back to the U.S. and just uh, the process I went through exploring myself and, and transitioning and, and figuring out 
what's my meaning and, and what am I doing here and, and, and how do I move forward and how do I be strong? Uh, so, so that's what the EP is about. And you can find information uh, about the EP and where to get it. Uh, it's on all streaming platforms and on my website, miriamtamar.com. And you can keep updated about shows and upcoming projects on the website and Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Miriam Tamar. Yeah. Fantastic, Miriam. I'm so glad that, that you've come on the show and that we've crossed paths by accident, quote unquote, <laughs> in LA. Uh, it's just been a pleasure getting to know you and I look forward to, to seeing what continues to happen. And we're of course going to share some of the songs on the show now so listeners can get a nice little taste. And I'll also put all of what you just said in the show notes, folks, too. So if you just check your show notes, you'll be able to click right in through to, to Miriam's website. And right before we get into playing some more of Miriam's music, it is time for Kelly Q, the drum roll, please, Amy's Real Stories. So today's real story, again, is taken from the life story of our featured guest. So today's story is, woman has the courage to follow her unique inspirations and aspirations. So that is the story that Miriam shared with us. She had the courage to live in Uganda and to learn new languages while living in the different parts of Africa. And of course, she now is courageous enough to really be committed to her dream of making music. Like she said, she's getting all kinds of press that I've seen and she's touring now. And of course, we wish Miriam, nothing but the best. She is such a lovely person and has such a wonderfully unique sound that is incredibly uplifting. I've, I've always loved Miriam's music. So remember, you can find Miriam's music on all platforms. So Spotify, Apple Music. If you just type Miriam Tamar Fire Dance, you will find her album and have access to it. Again, highly recommended. Also, our community is growing. We thank you so much for subscribing. If you have not subscribed yet to our podcast, you can find us by typing in your podcast search engine, Escaping the Rat Race with Amy Leo. Click subscribe. If you'd be kind enough to leave us a review, that would be fantastic. And you'll be sure not to miss any of our upcoming episodes and our library of past shows. We have a phenomenal library of guest interviews and topics that we shed some light on, having some really non-conventional conversations, I guess is a way to put put it. With that, next week's guest will be Nico Leptenen, and he will be sharing with us his inspirational story of coming across an illness that actually left him paralyzed as a teenager. So we can learn a lot from Nico about the human capacity for joy, purpose, happiness, meaning, resilience, insert positive effective word. And, and we're going to really hear Nico's story with that in his testimony of what he's seen about the truth about being human. Now, without further ado, we're going to play Miriam's song Fire Dance, which is again the name of her debut EP. Until next time, again, my name is Amy Leo. Keep rocking. Only way to fly, jump into the fire. 